0: We're in a series of messages entitled A Season of Stillness. And this is another time that we believe God has just called us to pause. And we came into 2015 with a series on our vision as a church. Uh, and to understand why we exist, our mission, it's to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, that that's what it's all about. It's about lives being changed, and as those lives are being changed, we're going out into the world, and we are seeing others' lives changed by that hope, the hope that's in us, and that's what we call changed lives changing lives. That's why we're here, and as we walk through January, we shared our vision for this year that we want to become the church that changed the world, the church we read about in the Book of Acts, a church that is full of the Holy Spirit, walking in all that God has for us. And I believe that we are well on our way. But before we ever reach the place that God has called us to, just like what we read about in the story of Scripture, that so often God will give a vision to His people, He'll give them a promise, a sense of where He's leading them to, a sense of direction. And then as they are walking towards that. God allows them to walk through what we will call a season of stillness. This is a time where, where we are slowed down, where we pause, where we wait. Sometimes it's brought on by adversity or difficulty. Other times it's placed there intentionally by the Lord himself. What we read in the book of Acts is that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, and, and he was ascending into heaven, he said this, wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Father. And he said that 10 days before they actually received the promise in the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed. He said, now go wait. He doesn't just say, no, just go get busy. They wanted to get busy working. They wanted to do everything that they wanted to do. And he said, no, you didn't hear me. Wait. And what did waiting look like for them? It looked like for a time in an upper room, praying, seeking the Lord together, worshiping him, pressing in. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It means sitting at his feet like we heard about in our first message. Uh, with, with Mary as she's there and just sitting at the feet of Jesus when he comes to her home, realizing that there's no meal that's greater that's being prepared that day than what's coming forth out of his mouth, that she would not just live on the bread that could be baked in an oven, but that his words were the bread of life, and that he in front of her was the bread of life. And so learning what it means to sit at Jesus' feet, and I pray that you've taken that challenge over this month and that you have... Uh, you have just sat in, in the presence of the Lord that you have spent time daily pressing in and just wanting to hear from Him. Not wanting to be busy reading, talking, doing a lot, but just, just sitting in His presence. And uh, we have given you this company. This uh, season of stillness book and it has beautiful pictures in it and it uh, has a psalm that is tied into each day and if you didn't get one of these yet you can still pick up some more in the foyer today after service you can go to one of the info centers they'll help you out with that and uh, you could use this at any time just to take a month to just unplug and connect with the Lord in a special way. We learned after that about what it means for God to be our refuge when Pastor Gasson was here. That when we are in that season of stillness, when we're facing difficulty and adversity, how he comes near. How Lord will bring us into a season of stillness, as Pastor Marcia said last week, so that he can refine our hearts and speak to us and allow us to repent and turn away from the things that have have really caused us to go astray and how they so easily derail us in this walk. And finally, today, I want to talk to you about this idea of what it is to ultimately find our rest in God, to find our rest in Christ and what He's done for us. And to do that, I want us to turn in uh, the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, which is towards the end of the Bible, book of Hebrews chapter 4. As you're there in Hebrews chapter 4, you will initially see. It will just start jumping off the page to you. There is a word that is continually repeated. It's a word that should bring relief and joy to us. It's a, 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 a word that we love to hear. Does anyone know what that word is? Rest. Rest. Yes, rest. That's what it's all about. How many of you would like some rest right about now? You know, rest is just a word. It's like, yes, rest. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. Sounds so simple, but yet so profound. And I found that, that life is moving at an uncontrollable pace. Does anyone else feel that way? That life is moving at such a rate that we just can't always keep up with it. And there are times that we feel that as life gets ahead of us and the busyness just gets out of control, that we're not walking through this life. We are being dragged through by the busyness of life. And as that has been a problem that has existed for, for, forever since the creation account, that there's always been the busyness, the toil, the labor, the work, and this need for rest. What I found, though, is that recently there is, a, a, um, there is certain companies, there's a whole part of industry that is making billions of dollars off of our busyness. And I'm calling this the business of busyness. That off of our busyness, they are profiting billions and billions and billions of dollars. And I don't know if you can guess what this industry is right now, but they are making tons of money because of the fact that we are so overworked. Here's how it is. You get busy, you're tired, you need rest, and you say these words, I need a vacation. Rest, no, vacation. I should have set you up better for that one. Uh, I need a vacation. When we think about not just the weather outside, but you think about the pace of life that we go through uh, here, where we're living in this part of the United States, and how many of you would just love to be in the place that this picture is showing right now? How many of you would just love that? This is the most applause I'm going to get today, I think, in my sermon. Good. Uh, Good. And you've all won a trip. Yes, check under your pews. Uh, So, this, this sounds beautiful, right? Get on a cruise ship, get on, get, get on a beach somewhere. And we get, when we think of the word rest, that's it. That's like, that's it. I could just rest there. I can just rest there. How many of you, you equate vacations with rest? I mean, right? It's like, I need to get away. So, so what's happened is life has become so busy and so overtaxing that there's a whole company that says this. Don't worry, we bought a bunch of land. Or we have connections with this land. And when you go there, there's no work, no busyness. We bought islands, and it's just so you can get away from all the busyness of this life. There's something that doesn't feel right about that. That we have to get on a plane, we have to fly thousands of miles just so we can somehow try to be at rest. Just so we can somehow try to find peace and quiet. And I think, is is this what God had in store for us when he says that we're going to enter into his rest? Some of you said, hey, the, the guy on TV said that, you know, this is what I'll get if I follow God. I'll get the, the, the island and the car and everything, and that'll be my rest. But God had something much more substantial to say about this. It isn't a destination. It isn't a place in the shade under a tree. The, the true rest that God can bring is something greater. Because how many of you know this, that you can go on vacation, and it can be busier than when you're home. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, try going to Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, yeah, you come home tired, like, oh, I need a vacation from my vacation. I need to get away. But you were just where away. No, no, I need to get away from the people that I went away with. I need to go away now again and just be by myself. Uh, that happens, right? That happens so, so easily. So rest isn't just about putting a week on your calendar and calling off work. And just, Rest is something deeper because it's something that truly needs to put us at Peace. And that's what the author of Hebrews is is getting at. here. He's using this idea of God's rest, the rest that God promises in his word. And this idea is such a deep and such a full idea. And I pray that we will understand it more fuller uh, as we hear from his word today. Because there's a worry that's there. There's an anxiety that is written into this portion of scripture. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of uh, Jewish people that had come to faith in Jesus... And yet, they were now having their doubts as the trials and the difficulties came along. Uh, they were beginning to fall away. They were beginning to turn away from Jesus. Uh, they were beginning to turn back to their old faith and their old practices, their old way of life. They were giving up on the race because they weren't. Uh, they weren't continuing to run when the going got tough. They got going. They they were abandoning the faith. And and this author of Hebrews is appealing to them that Jesus is all that they really need in this life. He is their everything. And he's greater than anyone that they'd ever encountered before, especially in the Old Testament. That you see Moses in one, but guess what? Jesus is greater than Moses. You see Abraham, Jesus is greater than Abraham. You see all the heroes of faith in chapter 11 when you start chapter 12 and says, hey, those are the heroes of faith. But there's an author to that faith. His name is Jesus. And he's the author and perfecter of your faith. So keep your eyes on him. And so that's the whole thrust of this letter to the Hebrews was don't give up on Jesus. Don't miss out on what God has for you. And one of the things that would strike such a chord with a Hebrew audience, this Jewish audience, would be this idea of God's rest. And there's a promise of God's rest. And so let's go all the way back uh, in God's word uh, to this time and this place in Hebrews chapter 4. And just imagine with me that there's persecution just like we're facing right now. There's difficulties all around. There's the busyness of life. There's the inner turmoil and anxiety that fills maybe your heart right now. And these words come forth. This is God's word. Therefore, let us fear. If while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, I had to memorize this when I was a teenager, and and I remember it in the NIV. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be sure that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. What the author is worried about is this, that there is a promise that God has made that you can enter into his rest. But I'm worried because I think some of you are going to fall short of that promise and not truly be able to enter into his rest, that you could be found to have fallen short of it. And this is a danger that he's worried about for the the believers in his day, and it's one that we still worry about today. Are we able to enter into the rest that God has called us to? Are we truly able to understand that? Now, if we go back, and the initial idea of rest came from God in the creation account. That how many days did it take Him to create the world? Six. And on the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. He rested uh, before creation. It showed His completion. It showed that it was finished. Now, as time went on, and God was establishing his law, which were were the guidelines for a relationship with humanity and his people, he said this. He said that you will also now observe observe that time of rest, that Sabbath. You will take a Sabbath rest. Just as I rested from all my work on the seventh day, you will now rest. But you won't just rest. You'll rest in me. You'll rest in relationship with me. That you don't just rest because you finished all your work in six days. You rest because it's a part of what it means to be in relationship with me. That if you are in relationship with me, the work can continue. How many of you believe that you just have five days worth of work? Right? No, that's, a, that's silly. No one schedules your workout so that it's like, well, we got five days worth of work for this person. And then you say, well, I got five days worth of work at home as well. Uh, And then I got like another three days worth of backed work and things that I have to work on. Any given time, we probably have about two weeks worth of work that we need to do in a week. Uh, We have two, you know, does anyone else feel that way? There's so much stuff that we have to get done. And we think and we look at God's word and it's like, well, you know, there should be a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I rested for my work. You're God of the universe. You spoke things into being. I'm busy. I got like two weeks worth of work in one week. Do you know that I live in New Jersey? Does this still apply to me? Do I have to work? Do I how does this work? The idea that, that we were meant to observe this, this Sabbath rest wasn't because we are meant to be like God and we finish all of our work on time. It means that we stop even when the work isn't finished and we rest in the fact that we know who our ultimate provider is, that we know who our Lord is, that we know who the one whom we have relationship with is, that we will not be run and overcome by all the busyness of this life, but that we find our rest in Him. And just as he was able to rest and sit in a sense of completion and complete peace with what was done, that we can sit in the midst of the turmoils, the difficulties of this life, and we can just rest in him. And that's what he really desired from his people from the beginning, was not that they were so efficient with the way that they did their work that they were able to finish their list by the end of the week. But in the midst of that busyness, they always took time to prioritize him and to rest and to walk in relationship with him. Now, there's this promise of that rest that came. And as time went on, people would obey that. They would not obey that. And you just see the story of God's people be one of continued rebellion. It gets to the point where they are actually taken captive in in Egypt, and they're, they're being oppressed as slaves. And as they're being oppressed as slaves, God hears their cries. And he calls out to To this man, Moses, and he says, I want you to go and I want you to be the one that's going to lead my people. I've heard their cries and you're going to be the one to help deliver them out of Egypt. And I will lead and guide you by my strong hand and by my outstretched arm, and you will bring freedom to those captives. And so God does it. He's faithful. He rescues his people. And you got to imagine what they were going through. They weren't observing rest, they weren't rested at all, they were slaves. They were being held captive to the work that was in front of them. They were completing these works, these massive works of digging and, and, and cutting and hewing rock and putting all these things in place. And they were worked to the bone. They were worked till their very death. That's all they were good for. And God says this, that when I rescue you out, I'm going to show you who you really are. You're my own possession. You're my child. My child doesn't work like that that you're not just a slave to this work. You're not just a slave to this busyness. You're not just just here to just fulfill all these things and just do this and then complete your task, and that's how you sense your identity and your worth. No, you exist to be in relationship with me. So he rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them out into the wilderness to lead them, and with a promise that you are going to enter into a land that I'm going to give you. But you know how God also explains and, and really describes that land? He calls it his rest, that I will bring you into my rest, that you will find rest in the land flowing with milk and honey, that he says this will be a place of rest, a place where we will enjoy relationship together, where you will truly learn what it means to be my people, for me to be your God and for you to be my people. You will walk into a season of rest, one that won't be defined by the busyness and by by being slaves to the many demands of this life, but by being My children, my people, chosen by my own goodness and glory. Now as they went out into the wilderness, there was a problem. God did an amazing job of getting them out of Egypt. They did a really bad job of getting Egypt out of themselves. See, he got them out of Egypt. They couldn't get Egypt out of themselves. And he couldn't get Egypt out of them because they continued to turn their hearts back. In fact, in the midst of their difficulty and in that season of stillness and that season of difficulty that they were walking through, they are saying, we had a better back of slaves in Egypt. I'd rather be a slave. I'd rather be doing those things. I'd rather just be working. I'd rather just do that instead of following God. Their faith diminished. They had no trust in where God was leading them or where God's appointed one was leading them. And their hearts became so hardened to God that he swore an oath Because they wouldn't believe in the promise. They would not put their faith in him completely. They would not find their hope and their rest in him. They would not rest in the assurance of what God was going to do in their lives. They were instead restless. Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out what God was up to. Trying to figure out how to do it themselves. And that state of restlessness in their heart actually led them into disobedience. So this is what's said in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, for indeed... It's him talking to this, this group of, of, of Hebrews that had fall, were falling away from the faith or tempted to fall away. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us just as they did. And, he, and he's talking that they is those that wandered in the wilderness. Because if you go back into chapter 3, this is who he's talking about, those who were wandering in the wilderness. We had the good news preached to us just as they did. But the word they heard, the promise, the word that they were given of where God was leading them to was of no value to them because they did not unite it with faith. They did not come and really trust God with everything that they had. And instead they were trusting in themselves and their own ways and their own thoughts and their own hearts and their hearts were going hard to the Lord. And so this is what it says in verse 3. For we who believe get to enter the rest of God. But just as God has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works are finished from the foundation of the world. God says you, there are those that run this risk, that if their hearts become hardened, if they hear God's word and they do not Walk in obedience, that they run a risk that they will not get to experience the rest that He promises in their lives. And it has everything to do with the condition of their hearts. If you go back into chapter 3, you can actually see this in verse 7 of chapter 3, and He's talking about what happened in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, 7 says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and this is quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as those that provoked me on the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. I said, They are always going astray in their heart. They do not know my ways, and I swore on my wrath they will not enter my rest. So here's what we need to know today, that as we put our faith in God, that faith has to come from the depths of our heart because the condition of our heart will ultimately dictate how we experience the rest that God has promised to his people. Today, if we're walking in obedience to him, if we're walking where we are following him, but if we're walking in disobedience or if we think that somehow we're leading our lives and God uh, is meant to follow us around doing whatever we want, Then we're missing it. You know what you're doing? You're walking in disobedience to him, then. And your heart is becoming hardened because you're not sensitive to what he's trying to lead you into. And he says, Today, if you can hear my voice, and I pray that you've been listening to his voice, I pray that you've been desiring to hear his voice. He says, If you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't wander around trying to figure everything out and do it in your own strength because you will die in a wilderness. But instead, Turn to me. Follow me. Be led by me. And it goes on after this in verses 3 through 7 of Hebrews chapter 4. And it says that those that believe can enter this rest in the same way that God rested on the seventh day. It says there remains in verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter this rest, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. But... God, again, fixes a certain day, and he calls it today. And he says that though long after David had promised long before, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. He says there's a day called today, that there's an opportunity to enter his rest. It still stands. And it's a different kind of rest than the people of God even got to enter. So we see that in the wilderness, they ended up dying in the wilderness, that generation, because their hearts were disobedient and their hearts were hardened. But there was someone else that came. And this one had a heart after God. That whenever they stood on the banks of the Jordan and they looked out over into that land, even long before, when they were able to enter in, and the spies went out and they came back and they said, what do you see? Many of them said, we see giants and we're like grasshoppers. We see everything is scary. We can't do it. It's not going to work. God must have gotten it wrong. This isn't going to work. We can't do it in our own strength. But there are two there. And they said, no, but God's with us. We believe. We see the vision of where God's leading us. We can do it with God on our side. But they were the vast minority. But you know, they were the only ones that really got to ever see the place that God had for them. And one of them, his name was Joshua. And Joshua was the one that God then strategically appointed and said, you're going to lead my people into my rest You're going to lead them into the place of Canaan. You're going to lead them into a new place, into the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to make a way. You're going to be led through where no one thought we could go, and you will enter into my rest. And they did, and that promise was fulfilled. But we see that that was a physical rest. We see that that was just a place and a time for a season. And we also see that what that rest could never really cure or change was the condition of their hearts. Because how many know it was a short time after that That although they physically entered into God's rest, they never were able to spiritually enter into it because the condition of their heart never changed. The condition of their heart was still enslaved to sin and turning away from God, hardened to God, not wanting to worship God. And therefore, there's now a promise that comes forth in Psalm 95. And this promise that comes forth is a promise to enter into his rest. Because he says this, he says there's still a promise today if you can hear the voice of God, that you can enter into rest, that you can be at rest completely. And this rest we're talking about isn't just a day of the week. This rest we're talking about is not some destination somewhere in this world. It is an inward peace that transforms and changes your life. It's a complete peace to know that in the midst of the storms, the turmoils, the trials, that you can find rest in God wherever you are. And for some of us today, We are realizing that it isn't just about a place and a time because you can take all the days off you want to. You could lay on the couch watching Netflix streaming for 24 hours straight. You can sit there watching and vegging and thinking that you're resting, but you're not. You're just being lazy. That's not resting. Resting isn't that. You know, often we do those things because we are so restless in our minds that we just want something else to distract us. We just want to get something else just to focus our attention on. That's not resting. We're also finding out that if you have this new technology, they're calling it Fitbit, Jawbone, anything like that, and you'll wear it, it'll measure the steps you take, your exercises, your calories, everything. And one of the things that it now measures is your sleep patterns. And some people, if you have one, you'll look, and it's scary at times if you look over your last night's sleep. Because when you thought you were sleeping, it'll show you when you were really sleeping and when you were tossing and turning by these lines shooting up. And every line feels like a needle when you look at that, I'm sure. Like, oh, wow, really? Like, I was so restless. No wonder why I go to sleep at night I wake up feeling so drained, so tired. Because you're not even at rest when you sleep. You're restless. And there are too many here today that we say, yes, we love the Lord, we're following the Lord, but we're living such restless lives. See, I believe the promise of God to enter into his rest is not just a future promise of heaven. It's a reality that every person that bears the image of Jesus Christ has the ability to experience in their life today. So when he says that I'm afraid that some of you are going to fall short of it, he's talking to me and you. Not just our eternal salvation being up for question or something, but are you actually going to be able to experience today the peace and rest of God that he promises to bring into the life of the one he has redeemed and rescued Out of sin and death. He's rescued you out of Egypt, but has he gotten Egypt out of you? He says that you're freed, but are you still walking around in shackles? He says that you enter into my peace, but you still live with no peace at all inwardly. God wants to bring a spiritual rest into the life of a believer. And he says today's the day that you can enter into it. So the question is how? How? How can that take place in my life? And there are two keys that are so vital beyond you putting your whole faith and hope in Christ, putting everything that you are and trusting him. I'm talking to those that have that relationship with the Lord, that say, I trust you with my my words and with my heart. I've made that declaration. Then you need to also trust him with your actions by walking in obedience. Because I'll tell you, if you're living a restless life today, something is out of balance. Go back to his word. Allow his word to speak to the depths of your heart and say, Lord, is something out of balance in my life right now? Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something that is not right? And that's what we're called back to. It says in verse 11, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And as we go back to God and we look for obedience, we look to his word. And that's where the author of Hebrews calls them to next. It calls us to. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He says, this is the power of God's word. That as you are sitting in a season of stillness, and if, even if you're opening up, these Psalms, and once a day you were just pausing for moments to reflect upon the Lord. If you're spending a half an hour, as we talked about, then I can tell you, I know it's happening. It's happening to me. Where the Word of God begins to become like that, that deep sword that's penetrating deep into my life, that's beginning to draw out of me motivations, attitudes, things that I didn't know. Has anyone else experienced that yet? That the more you look, the more you read, oh Lord. Wow, there it is. As Pastor Marcia said last week, that, that you know, so often if you just have that shallow relationship with God, you're looking at all the bad things everyone else is doing, hearing stories about this, that, and the other thing, and saying that's terrible. Who is that? Who? And then you hold up the mirror and you realize in God's well, that's me. Oh, I'm just as bad, you know. Oh, that's that's exactly what's going on in my heart. Lord, forgive me. Help me. I turn to you. God's word has that ability. And if you're not going to his word, how easy is it for us to walk in disobedience? But when we turn to his word, it goes deep into our lives. It can separate joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of your very heart. Don't think that you can judge your own thoughts and intentions in your heart. You can't. You'll be deceived by your heart. But God's word has the power to judge the thoughts and the attitudes, the intentions and the motivations, the motives of the heart. And it says in verse 13, nothing is hidden. No creature is hidden from God's sight. All things are open and laid bare before the eyes. And this last phrase here, the best way for this to be translated is the one of whom we must one day give an account. That everything's laid bare before the one to one day we will once come and we're going to stand before him face to face. And we will give an account that he sees everything. He sees into the depths of our heart. So turn back to him. Walk in obedience to him. Obedience to his word. But something deeper needs to happen than that. Because we know that for there to be true obedience, lasting obedience, we have a heart that is disobedient. We have a heart that is hardened by sin. We talked last week about what God promises to do. He says in Ezekiel chapter 36, I'll take away your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And I will cause you to walk in my decrees. I'll cause you to walk in my ways and be obedient to everything that I've commanded you. But you know what has to happen for a heart to be changed? Transformation. A changed life. A new identity. It says this, anyone who's in Christ is a what? New creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. God is doing that work to make us a new creation. And therefore, the second thing that has to happen is that there needs to be a change in our identity that our whole identity needs to not be found in who we are and what we've done and our own accomplishments, but our identity really needs to be found in Christ. He is our identity. When's the last time you woke up and you looked in the mirror and you saw what you saw, but you said, this isn't my identity. My identity is Christ, who I really am, is found in Jesus That this is really the life that I live. I think that we really believe that we've taken the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, and we've applied it to our life like some kind of band-aid or some type of insurance policy or some type of salve that can heal all the wounds in our life. Do you know what it is? No, it's not that. It's a complete transformation. It's a heart transplant. It's a whole identity transformation that our heart has been changed. Our lives have been changed. We no longer live for ourselves. To live now is Christ. Our identity is fully in him. And I'll tell you what, this is a problem for us today, just as it was a problem for them. Just as it's always been a problem. But there, it is so easy for us to bear the name Christian and yet have lives that look completely the opposite. It is so easy for us to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but let's go deeper. And let's have, but is your identity in Christ? Because for you to have the name Christian means that your identity is in Christ. So let's ask that question. Is your identity in Christ? Some of you say, I don't know. Now that you say it, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Whenever you lived, you strive to look more like him every day, to live more like him every day, to truly have that identity. Because I think we are much like those that wandered in the wilderness. We're wandering in wildernesses today. Why? Because God rescued us from sin. He rescued us from Egypt, but Egypt hasn't yet come out of us. And therefore, we are turning back to those many things. And so coming out of this Uh, This week, going into our next week, in the next month ahead of us, we're going to be starting a new series of messages called Identity Crisis. What it means to have our identity in Christ. What does it really mean? And I'll tell you what, I'm looking at what just happened with these 21 martyrs that lost their lives, and all I can tell you is their identity was in Christ. All I can tell you is that there's no one there that, because they had the opportunity, every opportunity to turn away, but there was something about the love of Jesus Christ and what he had done in their hearts, they couldn't go anywhere else. And I don't know about you, but I long to want to be that person. I want to be someone whose identity is found completely in Christ. That you can see our identity, but what's seared into it, what's marked into it, is Jesus himself. That we look like him. So we're going to be walking that out, but today the first thing that you can do is you can make a choice saying, I want my identity to be holy in Christ. I want to turn to him. As I invite the worship team to come forward at this time, I want you to hear this quote. This quote was given many centuries ago by Augustine, great church historian, and he's talking about this idea that our lives are just never, never at rest. They're restless. They're stirring. They're busy. They're they're anxious. They're they're full. and And, he, and here's what he says. He says. Because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. That because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him, until we truly know what it means to rest in him. And here's what it means. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus stood up and said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus looked at sheep without a shepherd. He looked at those who were wandering in every direction. He looked at those that were living lives full of hopelessness, anxiety, for those who have been trying so hard. This is who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the person that is trying to figure it all out on their own. The one who has taken and allowed the yokes of this life, the yokes of your job, the yokes of your career, of all these expectations, and you have decided, whether you've consciously or subconsciously decided, you made a decision. My identity is found in what I do, in what I complete, in what I accomplish. That's who I really am. And what Jesus says is this. He says, "Are you getting tired of living that kind of life? Are you weary and heavy laden by those kind of burdens? Come to me." He says, "Take upon you my yoke." That means you have to lay down those things that you're carrying around. He says, "Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and it's only in me are you ever going to be able to find the rest that you're looking for." You're not going to find rest by getting somewhere, climbing some corporate ladder. You're not gonna find rest at the top of that. You're not gonna find rest sitting on top of some bank account. You're not gonna find rest by purchasing that right house or that right car. You're not gonna find rest even by finding that right person in your life. You're not gonna find rest by completing the right courses and getting the right degree. You're not gonna find rest by getting a bunch of accolades from this life and accumulating all kinds of praise from people. You're not gonna find rest in any of it. You'll be tired. You'll be worn out. You'll be heavy laden. You'll be weary. You're not going to find rest by doing a lot of things for Jesus. You're only going to find rest by coming and falling into his arms and saying, I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm done striving. I'm done just trying to impress you, God. I think so many of us were so trying to impress him. And here's what he wants you to know, that like you can't impress me. I love you right where you are. There's nothing you could do. You could read the whole Bible like 10 times and memorize it and do everything. I won't love you anymore. I love you. I love you just as you are. Not as you're pretending to be, not as you're trying to be, not as you're striving. I just love you. And what I would love most would just be that you would just come to me and just rest in me and enjoy fellowship with me. But we're trying to fix ourselves too often. When we have a Savior, we're not our Savior, He's our Savior. So today, what, what a great opportunity for us to wrap up this series, to understand what it means. That we will never have our rest until we have our rest in Christ. We'll never truly find rest until we can rest fully and faithfully in the arms of the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who bled on a cross, the one who forgive us of our sins, the one who adopted us into his family, the one who says, you're never going to be able to earn your way into my family or into my heart. You're never going to be able to earn your way to me or build a bridge that's strong enough. I've made a way where there is no way. It says, What you do isn't who you are anymore if you're in Christ. What Jesus did is now who you are. That you're hidden away in Christ with God. And therefore, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, our trust in Him. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have someone that doesn't know what we're going through today. The table that's behind me, this communion table, is a reminder that we have one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet was without sin. In fact, as He was pressed in the greatest way, Instead of giving in, he began to sweat drops of blood. As he could have done anything, said one word to get out of what he was going to suffer. He went to the cross and he hung there. He's our great high priest. He's the one who has made it possible for us to have relationship with God. And it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Today, if you just bow your heads with me and open your hearts with me. We're going to just come before the Lord right now in this quiet moment. And the way that we're going to close out is by recognizing Him. Recognizing Him as Lord of our lives and recognizing Him by coming to His table through communion. But before that, I want to give an opportunity for anyone here. This is a moment between you and the creator of the universe, the God that loves you, the God that has saved you, the God that has desired to have relationship with you? Have you turned your heart to Him completely? Today, if you can hear my voice and you say, you know what, I know that I'm not right with God today. I haven't yet asked Jesus to come and forgive me of my sins. That's what it will take. You acknowledging your need for Him. And if you do that, He's faithful to come and forgive you of your sins and give you a brand new life. So anyone within the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, if you can hear me and you say, today's the day, I want, I want a fresh start, I want a new beginning, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you just to lift your hand above your head if that's you, and you say, that's me, I want to have that, amen. Anyone else? What's going on? Anyone else? Don't be afraid, don't be ashamed of that. In fact, something we've all done at one point in time or another if we call Jesus Lord. I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat these words after me. Maybe you're coming back to the Lord. He's stirring your heart and you know you aren't where you're supposed to be and you just want to say this to recommit your ways to Him. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. They've separated me from you. But I want to walk in your ways. Give me a new heart. One that knows you and loves you and follows you all the days of my life that I may enter into your rest. In your name I pray. Amen. And praise God.